Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Prescott. Lines up basically the same formation. Chiefs in the same defense. That back to Prescott. Chiefs. Now the pass is over the middle. Picked off. Picked off by Sneed. Sneed now will go down wisely. Inside the 10-yard line. Legereus Sneed will cap off a terrific night for the Chiefs defense. Stifling this best NFL offense. That look on the face of Dak Prescott pretty much summarizes the look on the faces of football fans and media as we try to process yet another weekend of what the hell happened in the National Football League. We'll try to help you make sense of what the hell did indeed happen over the course of the next two hours. He's Mike Golick. I'm Mike Florio. It's PFT Live. Good morning, Mike. How are you today? Yes, another edition of Mike along with Mike. I uh, look forward to it. And what what another crazy Sunday. Four division leaders that lost yesterday. And amazingly enough, they had such a lead that only th- oh, three of them held on to the lead. And one of them lost it to see now the Patriots atop the AFC East. But still, you know, you, you wait for these teams to find that consistency in November. November has always been such a monster month for coaches and, and teams, especially coaches, talking about this is where we position ourselves. And, and we're still getting some inconsistent play out of what we think are the better teams in the NFL. Yeah, I always say that around Thanksgiving, there's a team that's hovering near 500 that starts to figure it out. Well, anybody that's going to be good this year is hovering not that far above 500 if there <laughs> and yeah somebody's gonna get hot and somebody's going to we think I don't know it could continue to ping pong back and forth between good week bad week a couple of good games a couple of bad games and we see who's left standing when it's time to get to the postseason and who's able to navigate the three rounds of the playoffs and then get to the Super Bowl and see what they can do there. But let's start with the Chiefs and the Cowboys. That was the most hyped game of the day. 
with a 56 and a half over under. It didn't even get to half of the over under total points of 28 as the Chiefs defense puts the clamps on a Cowboys offense that didn't have Amari Cooper eventually lost CD lamb Ezekiel Elliott battling through a knee injury. He missed some time, but did come back and finish the game. The chiefs normally Mike, anytime the last four years, you say the chiefs score 19 points. I say the chiefs lose. They score 19 and they more than double up the opponent that scores only nine. That was stunning to me that the chiefs finding a way to win with defense. Well, still, that the inconsistencies. And, and, and quickly, to add one more to Dallas because we know how important that O-line is. Tyron Smith missed his third yes. game, uh, the left tackle. So uh, they, they, they certainly have had some injury issues working through now. But again, as I mentioned, the inconsistencies. This Kansas City defense had been bad to awful all year, giving up a ton of yards and giving up points. So this was the game they stepped up, right? I mean, think about this. You just mentioned the over. Nowhere near that. You have Patrick Mahomes. You have Dak Prescott. The number zero of touchdown passes between these two quarterbacks. I mean, who would have picked that one? I really want to know if that was a line in Vegas somewhere, that there would be no touchdown passes out of these two offenses and these two quarterbacks. Yet there it was. But kudos. This one is all about that Kansas City defense stepping up a bunch of sacks i believe five on deck three and a half by chris jones a couple of very timely interceptions as well so it's a defense who like i said on the outside looking in we have been critical of and believe me on the inside as well they've been critical of themselves because the expectation has been more for them now i know they've dealt with some injuries you know with frank clark chris jones and and others and so getting healthy is key there but this offense or defense now saw a glimpse of, hey, this is what we think we can be. Now, let's not get crazy because remember after last week where Kansas City put up 40-some points and every, everybody declared they were back. Well, no, I mean, they're not going to be. They hadn't shown that all year. To start to think they were going to be this incredible offense again was fool's gold. But the defense now really picked it up. Now, they need to get consistent, and I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, they're going to ride it now. Now they're going to be this great team, great defense the rest of the way. I don't know. We don't know. We see a different story every single week. So that's why every single week is, is filled with soap opera drama. And this time around, you the expectation of who we think is going to step up gets thrown out the window, and uh, part of the a team that hasn't done anything all year, the Kansas City defense, steps up and has their best game. Who knew? But they get the W, and that's all that matters. And I still have in my mind this expectation that the Chiefs are eventually going to figure it out. And maybe they never will, and maybe they don't need to. They're 7-4, and four, and the others around them are giving them opportunities if they can just be somewhat consistent. I think that's the key. Find some consistency. Not necessarily week in and week out. Only has to be two out of three weeks. And, you, hey, here you are, seven and four. And you're, you're positioned well in the event that you do figure it out. The Chiefs can rock it into the postseason and really make things happen. And no matter how they struggle between the 20s, they get very interesting when they get close to the goal line. They stay creative even if the offense isn't what it's been in past years. The Travis Kelsey touchdown out of Wildcat formation with – Patrick Mahomes basically in the 
running back position for the old pistol formation that was made popular several years back. You got Kelsey with a running back on each side. You got Mahomes behind him who's calling for the ball, which was kind of funny, although he was open. There goes Kelsey for the touchdown. I like that they still do these fun things. At times, though, I feel like it's window dressing for a busted window. Well, no, I, I get what you're saying. Sometimes you try and get too cute, too cute and it's going to backfire on you. But they have the athletes to pull it off. You know, whether it's Tyreek Hill running out of the backfield or, as you saw there, Kelsey taking the snap. So this is stuff they work on, and this is stuff they're obviously comfortable with. It You don't run it. Uh, run that play that close to the end zone without being comfortable in it. And every team has them in their repertoire. Every team, when, it, when you're by the goal line of certain plays, I mean, how much do we go crazy on the Philly special, you know, from the Super Bowl years ago? Everybody has that kind of a play. It's just a matter of will you pull the trigger and run it? Will you do it? When, when it gets to that moment where you need that play, do you have enough confidence that you ran it enough or enough confidence in somebody else other than your quarterback taking a snap and running play action and then running the ball to run the play? And for Kansas City, they do. They have all the confidence in the world. So what it does for a defense, as, as a former defensive player, that close to the goal line, you want to be in attack mode. Well, now you have different options. Now you have Kelsey taking the snap. You have a, a quarterback going out for a pass, and rarely will it ever get thrown to a quarterback, but still, it's an option. He's faking a handoff. It's not your normal wildcat where that guy takes the snap and just it's a power running game. You know, there's a play fake there. Is he going to throw the ball, which he could, and he ends up running it. So they're comfortable. That's an Andy. Those are Andy Reid kind of add-ons that he's very comfortable running around the goal line and it can prove to be a big play for you when you need it most because you said it, and you're right. Consistency is going to be the key here because who else is consistent in the AFC right now? So they may not have to get back to where they were, and I don't know if they can at a consistent level, but they may not have to do it because who the hell's showing up? The most consistent team in the AFC right now, correct me if I'm wrong, is the New England Patriots, right, who are back on top of the AFC East with a rookie quarterback and a defense that's playing great right now. But it's not like still they're putting up 40 points a game. So that may not be needed this year, though, except on a game off here and there. Who knows? Yeah, great day for the Patriots to sit back and watch the Titans and the Bills lose. We'll be talking about that coming up, obviously. And we mentioned the Chiefs offense, Mike, with the propensity to get cute. Defensively big picture, they got cute this year by kicking Chris Jones to the outside. They have since realized the error of their ways. They have admitted it and rectified Chris Jones on the inside. You mentioned he had three and a half sacks. He also had that fumble recovery where it was just like he was determined to try to gain some yardage as he kept going backward. It's just kind of funny to see the yeah. rare occasion when a guy like that gets the ball in his hands and he's he is bound and determined to make something happen even if he doesn't. He forced another fumble. This guy is a force and he's better served to that defense if that force is on the inside, not the outside, Mike. So, Mike, there's a there's a kind of an air to the outside, to the outside pass rusher. You know, th there's that that something about that edge rusher. And Chris Jones felt he wanted to go do that as well. Now, listen, you can do both. I played with a guy, oh, maybe everybody's heard of him, named Reggie White who played over Ooh. the center, who played over the guard, who played over the tackle, could play anywhere. <laughs> he could play anywhere on the, on the line, God rest his soul. I mean, but he was able to do it. And, you know, it, but mostly he was out on the end, but he could come inside and, and rush as well. 
So for Chris Jones, that's kind of the, the glory position, the outside rusher. But you ask any quarterback where they don't want pressure, and it's up the gut. It's not that edge rush where they get hit in the blind side or the edge rush from the front side where they can step up. It's all the trash in the middle. It's when all that stuff starts falling around their legs that quarterbacks start to get a little skittish and don't have that escape because a lot of times they want to go up and out instead of just out. And all of a sudden now you got a 6'6 guy, 6'6 incredible athlete, crash in the middle between, you know, from guard to guard. That to me is more imposing than him coming off the edge. Now, you can be doubled and stopped a little more on the inside because it's a lot tighter. And when you get double teamed, where on the outside, you know, maybe a, a, a tight end will chip you or a back will chip you, but you rarely get that true double team as an outside rusher. And maybe he wanted more to that, but more of that. But he is, he is much better suited to help this defense, even though he may want to be on the outside, to help this defense to wreak havoc right in the middle of that line, push that pocket back, and get right in the quarterback's grill at all six six of them. You mentioned Reggie White. I'm going to take 30 seconds here and share with you the first play I think of from Reggie White's illustrious career every time his name is brought up. It didn't happen with the Eagles. It happened with the Packers on a Thursday night in 1994. And Sims and I talk about this from time to time, and this is something that Sims has a pet peeve about. They draw up the protections with the X's and O's, and it looks like it's going to make sense until you've got a receiver trying to block Reggie White. And it was a moment when Reggie White was supposed to be blocked by Chris Carter. And Reggie White threw Chris Carter into the legs of Warren Moon. That's the bowling ball strike and sack where you don't need to even get to the quarterback to get him down. You just throw the blocker about five to seven yards into the legs of Warren Moon. That's that's how dominant Reggie White was. Well, listen, we were all teammates together in Philadelphia, so Chris Carter knew exactly what Reggie Reggie could do you know, at any given moment. I don't think Chris was real happy. Uh, I'm sure he would admit it when all of a sudden he's out there and there's Reggie barreling down on him. Uh, yeah, I'd imagine it's a, a wide-eyed situation. And he was. He was just ragged out into the quarterback. That was of seeing Reggie with that rip and hump move of throwing 320-pounders. Yeah, to see him just ragdoll a wide receiver and use him as a bowling ball was, was just another of so many amazing plays from what I consider the greatest – defensive end to ever play the game the Cowboys were basically the ragdoll last night offensively here's Dak Prescott quarterback of the team on the struggles that they had in mustering a mere nine points at Kansas City yeah it sucks but I'll tell you we're a confident group and uh, the defense did plenty enough for us to, to for us to come and win this game and so um, the offense did, didn't get the job done that starts with me and it starts with the way that we communicated and executed so um, I've got a lot of uh, confidence in this group and as I said we're a resilient group that will get better so there's no worries or no um, discouragement on, on what our future holds so uh, as I said we just got to learn from this and make sure that um, we take advantage of an opportunity on the road against a great team like this the next time. And they don't have to go on the road the next time for a little bit because they have the Thanksgiving game at home against the Raiders. A few weeks ago, that looked like a special game, but the Raiders have fallen and they can't get up. And now the Cowboys won't have C.D. Lamb. There he is. There he suffered a concussion in the second quarter. Not very simple to get cleared to play in just four days. And stranger things have happened, but... I just would be surprised if we see him on Thursday. We know we're not going to see Amari Cooper. But uh, the Cowboys now, after they got right, 
following that, what the hell happened loss to the Broncos? Now we, we look at them and, and the questions are already back. They, they're on this weird seesaw, pendulum, whatever metaphor you want to use, where one week they look like they could win the Super Bowl and the next week they look like they can't even get to the playoffs. Well, I mean, that, that's, that's attrition, and that's the NFL, Mike. And it, it's how, how healthy can you be when you need to be, right? Uh, they're going to make the playoffs, so the whole thing for them is obviously what's your position going to be and are you going to be healthy? But, you know, like most rosters, you can be top-heavy. It's, to, it's tough to have elite depth. You can get it every now and then, but it's tough. So all of a sudden... Your leading receiver. Now, Schultz, as we saw last year, had a good year, and he's become a very reliable tight end. When he and Zeke Elliott, who ends up getting hurt in this game, are tied as your leading receivers, that means no outside receivers because they're not there. You're two elite ones. One isn't even in the game, and the other gets hurt in the game. They're out. Your left tackle is out. So this thing moves well when all the pieces are there, and all the pieces weren't even close to being there yesterday. So you kind of say, okay, you know, we didn't have everybody, but we plan on it. That's the whole key to this thing now. While you're positioning, there are certain teams that are going to be in the playoffs, but they want to position for a spot in the playoffs. But after that, you have to think, well, it doesn't matter what our position is for the playoff if we don't have guys healthy that are our top players. And for Dallas, when you have a handful of them that are out, this is what you're going to get. The defense is better than it was last year. But at this point, occasionally they can carry that team. For for the most part, they're not going to carry the team. They're going to be complementary to one another. So they need their weapons on offense. And in this case, they didn't have it. So they'll look at the film. they'll, 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 They'll check out the mistakes. They'll correct the mistakes. But all of them will know. Well, if we play them again somehow, some way, get all the way to the big game and, and get to play, you know, Kansas City again, we would plan on having all our guys healthy. That's the one thing, Mike, you can't account for and from the beginning of the season to the end of the season is who is going to be there that's healthy and who you can count on. And then all of a sudden they're not there and somebody has to fill their shoes. And as we're learning that strange, vague bolt of lightning that can come from a COVID positive is lurking for every team, and you just have to accept it. Any given day, any given hour, any given minute, the announcement's going to be made that a player is on COVID reserve, and you're not going to have him, most likely, if not definitely, for the next game. Before we pivot to the next game, one thing that I feel compelled to mention because I understand that everybody hates the emphasis on taunting. And we saw a controversial, well, controversial, I don't know how controversial it was, Clyde over layer back from IR. As he's making his way to the end zone, he points at an opponent. I'd like to think we've all figured out by now, Mike, that thou shalt not do that. Even if we don't like the rule, that's what they flag you for now. That's, you know, all the years of... Tyree Kill throwing up the deuces and not getting flagged. That's one of the reasons why it's a point of emphasis. That that literally is a point of emphasis. I I, I don't understand why anybody was surprised by that. We, we've learned and we've seen and we've heard. And you can hate the rule, but when a guy does that in the face of another right. player, of course you're going to get flagged. Yeah, I mean, all, all you see when something like that happens, social media blows up with saying, Oh, my God, how can they call that? And listen, I'm the first to agree. 
but I'm also the first to agree with you as well. And, and quite honestly, I may be the first to agree with you. That's a whole other story. Uh, yes. <laughs> of that, Thank you. You're right. You can't do that. I mean, as, as much as you may want to or think it's not, a, it's not a penalty or shouldn't be a penalty, you don't make the rules. You have to play by the rules of the NFL. And, they, and especially, especially, as you said, when they say it's a point of emphasis, they're going to call it. That means they're looking for it more and they're going to hammer you with it. So while it can be the dumbest penalty in the world, listen, as a player, sorry, uh, you don't get any kind of, well, that's okay you did that because it's a dumb rule. No, that costs you 15 yards. You know it's going to cost you 15 yards. Don't do it. Yeah, and, you know, it's just a matter of time before the NFL expands the rule. I, I hope this doesn't happen to make it like college where that, that touchdown would have gone off the board. If you're taunting on the way in, oh. if you haven't gotten in yet, no touchdown for you. Hopefully it won't get to that point, but we've already seen crawl, uh, college football cross that bridge. All right, we're going to cross over to the next game. And, and this is the one. This is the, Every week there's the one. The, the one that really makes you question whether you know anything at all about the National Football League because the Titans had been rolling. They had won six in a row. So far this year, Mike, the first team ever to, to beat seven playoff teams from last year in their first ten games, but they'd lost to the Jets. That was the, the nagging little blemish on their resume for 2021. And now the team that... That everyone looks, hey, well, we got we got our survivor pool. Who's playing the Texans this week? Let's take whoever's playing the Texans this week. Well, <laughs> the, the, the 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 Titans, I, I I I still am dumbfounded that the Texans, who hadn't won since Week One, were able to go into Nashville and beat a Titans team that had been rolling and had captured that vibe of just win every week, just win every week, focus on the opponent and win every week. So, you know, and, and it's a team that obviously we keep saying without Derrick Henry, without Derrick Henry. Well, they've had a few, couple of games without Derrick Henry, and they've won games without Derrick Henry. They're not going to be as good a running game without Derrick Henry. We know that. We know you, they're going to have to adjust. We know they, they weren't this prolific offense anywhere. Occasionally they were because you had that hammer of Derrick Henry, especially in the fourth quarter on what, how he could roll it up on you and you could keep possession uh, of the ball. But that's not going to happen right now, so they have to live more uh, off the passing game. But to me in this one, I mean, this is a Houston Texans or have been a bad football team. And for the Tennessee Titans, we'll sit there and talk about the offensive side of the ball, but their defense, Mike, has really stepped up. And I know t 22 points, you know, isn't awful to give up, but it can be bad when you're playing the Texans. You can't give up that many points to the Texans. You just can't if your defense is playing extremely well. And you know you have to cover a bit for your offense. Even though the offense still can score, you're missing a huge component. You know you have to cover for them a bit. So, you know, Vrabel as a, as a defensive coach, as we sat there and watched that game and the rain is just pouring down on his head going, what the hell is going on? Uh, I, I look at the defensive side of the ball for them and saying, all right, we're playing a team that we should be able to hammer, and we need to hold them to less than the amount of points, obviously, we gave them. Your offense should score more. I get it. They need to score more, obviously, than 13 points. So people may be saying, why are you putting this on the defense? The offense didn't score. This defense has been playing really, really well. 
And I didn't expect Houston to be able to put up the, the numbers that they put up uh, scoring in this game. I, I love this. This is basically a GIF. Mike Vrabel, the miserable look. And here's a conspiracy theory for you. Look at the guy behind him in the slicker. I wonder if Bill Belichick decided on his Sunday off to to sneak in and work a change just to get a close look at the Titans. I don't look like Belichick's back there peering over his shoulder because you know what, Mike? He gets Vrabel next week. The Patriots get the Titans in New England. And I said this last night, and both Tony Dungy and Drew Brees disagreed with me, but I, I can't help but think that having that Patriots game on Thursday night and seeing what the Patriots are now and knowing that the Titans have the Patriots next, I can't help but think that maybe the Titans look past the Texans a little bit and peeked ahead knowing they got this showdown in Foxborough coming up six days from now. Listen, it's possible you're, you're human, you know, and, and t- so Tannehill throws what? You know, I'm sitting here and I'm sure people are going, my God, why are you on the defense? Tannehill throws four interceptions. You only give up 190 yards of total offense. Maybe I'm being too hard on the defense, but I remember as a defensive player, you know when your back gets against the wall, you got to step up and and get it done. They're the better side of the ball right now for Tennessee once Derrick Henry left left the field and isn't going to be back. So maybe my expectations can be too high on a defense when they got put in a hole at times because of the interceptions and they did hold Houston to more field goals and touchdowns. I get it. So maybe I'm being overly hard on the defense and you have to look more at the offensive side of the ball, especially with the turnovers. It just goes to show you again that how, how turnovers can kill you. And I, some of the throws Tannehill was making to go to that side of the ball were, were, were somewhat inexplicable uh, interceptions. But I guess I just expected the way that defense had been playing to step up and say, okay, you put us in a hole. We're going to get us out of this hole. Um, the, the, really, I, I mean, I, I can't sit here and say it's one side of the fault over the, or one side of the ball over the other at fault. Certainly the offense was, was anemic here with the turnovers, and the defense did hold Houston to under 200 total yards. But there, there's just an expectation when you're playing as well as you are, even if some things are going bad on one side of the ball, that you could pick it up on the other side of the ball. Nothing against Ryan Tannehill, but I'm glad he had a career-high four interceptions with three in the fourth quarter. I'm glad that happened because now I can quit trying to do the mental gymnastics over whether or not if the Titans get the one seed in the AFC, he somehow is the league MVP. I can stop that. That's over. That's yeah. done. You're disqualified. Four interceptions against the, te- against the Texans. You're disqualified from consideration for NFL MVP. And you know what's going to happen now, Mike? Yeah. Everybody's yeah. going to assume the Titans are going to go to New England and lose. Everybody's going to pick the Patriots to win, and the Titans are going to go to New England, and they're going to win. And, and yep. we're going to be having this conversation next Monday. What in the hell has gotten into the Titans where they can beat all these good teams, but they can't figure out how to beat the worst teams in the NFL? I, I, listen, it is something that's inexplicable, but it also is something that says these are the best football players in the world. And at any time they can step up and have a game. We've seen it. You know, that's why you don't get a lot of no-win teams. You certainly get some few-win teams. There's some teams that are just very bad as others are very good, but they're still pros. And each Sunday, you never know. 
they can step up. And the one thing that that can kill you is turnovers. My God, in the in the first game or early games yesterday, how many first quarter interceptions were going on all over the league, and then missed field goals everywhere. So you just you never know. You know, you turn the ball over too much and you can't overcome it. Tennessee, you know, you miss field goals and that's going to cost you games as well in other games. So that, that's, that's why they say it's, it's the oldest cliche in the book. That's why they play the games. But it is because you don't know what's going to happen. And the, the really great teams, when things start rolling bad against them, they can find a way and hit the brakes and come back the other way, come back rolling the other way and try and pull it out. And Tennessee wasn't able to do that yesterday. And if that was indeed Bill Belichick posing as guy holding orange stick behind Mike Vrabel yesterday in Nashville, (laughs) Belichick missed witnessing on TV the disintegration of the Buffalo Bills. Just a couple of weeks after they only scored six points against the Jaguars in Jacksonville, the Bills came home to face a Colts team that they had a rough time with in the playoffs last year, a 27-24 victory then. This time, and I, hey, that seven and a half point spread was was too wide. I thought the Colts would cover. I didn't think they would win. Oh, indeed, they won. Let's hear before we get into the the accomplishments of the Colts and maybe Jonathan Taylor is an MVP candidate. Josh Allen, a guy we thought was an MVP favorite going into the season and was the betting favorite going into this week. Here he is talking about how the Bills offense struggled yet again. We know who we are. And that that we put out there on that field, that's not who we are. So that's two yeah. losses in three games, I guess three and five since Kansas City. Can you diagnose like a lot of what the issues are offensively? Um, again, I mean, just protecting the football. Um, execution is what it comes down to, and we're not executing at a high enough, high enough level right now. So, um, you know, it starts with me. It is jarring to look at the standings and see Buffalo 6-4, and four, a half game behind New England at 7-4, and four, but that's where they are right now, and they were dominant early in the season, Mike. They, they were the only dominant team the first four or five weeks, but they lost it, and they just can't get it back now. And if you're only going to run the ball eight times for an entire game, you get what you deserve. You know, somebody... I heard somebody recently suggest that Brian Dayball is doing his head coaching audition thing and he's trying to get a little too fancy on offense and maybe that's one of the reasons why the Bills are so skewed toward the pass and maybe that's one of the reasons why they're not performing. But whatever it is, they better figure it out because they got the Patriots coming two weeks from tonight and the way they played yesterday, they're not going to beat anybody, much less the Patriots. Well, I mean, listen, we've seen this before with them, right? I mean, from an offensive standpoint, not being able to, to put up points. A game against Jacksonville and earlier in the season as well, where you scratch your head a little bit. They just don't have a good enough running game. I mean, so yesterday it was, what, 13 runs and 40 passes. Now, again, this one was a bit different because the game got away from them. It's 24-7 to at half. Before you know it, it's 38. I believe it's 38-7. to So your game plan does kind of go out the window. But I even went back... Um, the week they played Jacksonville and we were having this discussion where the run-to-pass ratio was ridiculous for a game that was 9-6. to six. So I think they put too much on Josh Allen to throw the ball. And he throws the ball well. He's improved incredibly well to be 
had been talked about as an MVP candidate. But I just don't think there's enough balance to that offense as all, at all. You look at a team like the Eagles, all of a sudden they found some – forget balance. Now they're more of a running team the last couple of weeks, and it's worked out well for them where they have basically not done it a lot during the season. And you were like, why aren't you doing this? So Buffalo, it's a combination in this last game of being down too much and having to throw yourself back into the game. But also, I don't think there's a lot of confidence in that running game either. And that's going to bite you coming later in the season. If you're going to get to the playoffs, you're going to play in cold weather places where you need to have an efficient, it doesn't have to be great, but at least an efficient running game. And there are times when Buffalo just says, the hell with it. You know, we're not even going to run the ball. We're just going to throw the ball all over the park. I think there's something to be said, too, for the temptation for a team that had a special season that fell short, that has a high degree of urgency to get back to where it was and finish the job. I think sometimes they may lose sight of the week-in and week-out grind, and sometimes they just assume that thing that worked so well last year is just automatically going to work well again this year. And when it doesn't, you see a resistance to pivot away from it. Like, this should be working. Like, you're trying to start a car that doesn't want to start. At a certain point, you just got to stop and check under the hood. You quit quit twisting the key. I feel like that's what the Bills' offense is. They get to these moments where they're twisting the key, and it's going, you know, and, and they keep doing it. They flood the engine. Remember that when you're, hey, I, I still don't know what it means to flood the engine. You're going to flood the engine. Oh. They flooded the engine in Buffalo. Yeah, kids don't know about today. You start to smell that gas a little bit, and you're like, oh, no, I flooded the engine. Now i got to sit and wait for a while. But, I mean, the NFL is one of the great, you know, adjusting leagues. You get figured out. Team, other teams don't stay stagnant. They don't just say, wow, that's a really good team. Boy, I hope someday we could beat them. No, you work to what they do good, and you try and counter that. I mean, I, I go all the way back to Buddy Ryan's 46 defense. He ran in Chicago, and they were, we ran in Philly, and we were successful with it. But eventually, offenses learn where the spots are to either run and or pass against it. You get – that happens. It happens to everybody. You know, it's not like it's, it's, it's a, a, a shot against you. That's the NFL. That's why, what coaches do. They figure things out. They watch film. They see tendencies, and they say, okay, they do this really well. This is what we're going to try and do to stop it. And if you're on the other side and just keep banging your head into the wall or, like you said, slamming your foot on the gas pedal waiting for it to start, you're not going to get anywhere. You do have to adjust some. Rarely do you get a team that's that good that could just say, well, this is the way we do it. We're not going to change the way we do it. And we plan on keep beating you this way, the way we do it. And that's, that's more the exception than the rule in the NFL. Yeah, it, you're absolutely right. You have to be flexible. You have to have a game plan week in and week out, offensively and defensively, based upon the team that you are playing. The talent gap is not so great that you can just say, we're going to do what we always do, and they're not going to be able to stop us either side of the ball. You have to adjust and adapt and play that chess game of we zig when they zag. We make them think we're going to do this. We do that instead. We exploit this weakness they have. And we try to enhance this strength we have or disguise this strength we have or use it at the right time. Use it selectively, not all the time, especially when it's not working. Now, sometimes there are, there's a strength you can use all the time because it is working, and that's what the Colts have with Jonathan Taylor. This team was left for dead a few oh. weeks ago. They were done. 
got swept by the Titans, down three, got to make up four games in the final nine, ain't going to happen, forget about it. Maybe you'll get a wild card if you get lucky. Well, now here they are at six and five. And Jonathan Taylor, definitely an MVP candidate, Mike. 185 rushing yards yesterday. Five total touchdowns. Unbelievable performance by a guy who just keeps getting better and better. First guy to get over 1,000 yards this season rushing. And, you know, as, as, as uh, I think Coach Dungey pointed out last night, for a dome team, or maybe it was Tarico, for a dome team to be playing with this formula that is perfect for outdoors football in the winter – it's amazing, but that's exactly where the Colts are right now. Uh, listen, I love what the Colts are doing right now. Carson Wentz not we, – we just talked about Tannehill's four interceptions. Uh, you got Wentz not turning the ball over, 18 touchdowns and just three interceptions on the year. And then what Taylor is doing – I remember watching and covering him when he was running at Wisconsin behind, you know, those hog molly offensive linemen. And now he gets a nice line to run behind here, though – Quentin Nelson did go down, down again. He had that brace on his ankle from the high ankle sprain, and he got that ankle again. So we're going to have to see how long he's going to be out. He is without question their, their best lineman, close to their best player on that team. So that's, that could hurt him. But take nothing away from what the way Taylor runs. You need a good line in front of you, obviously, but his ability to show patience at times, hit that burst at times, He's catching the ball out of the backfield as well. What a weapon. It was him and Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry had the lead, obviously, in rushing, and he's out and Taylor taking over. But eight consecutive games, over 100 scrimmage yards and a touchdown. I mean, it's ridiculous. Boy, if you got him on your fantasy team, kudos to you. Never sit that guy uh, again. I mean, it, it's incredible what he's doing. And, again, that balances a defense. It balances an offense that doesn't turn the ball over. Again, we'll see for a dome team – as it gets out, if you have to get outside in the cold weather. But what did I just say earlier? You need that running game, and they have a running game right now with a hell of a running back. And one thing that the Colts did that could potentially benefit them significantly, Marlon Mack wanted out before the trade deadline. They didn't trade him. Now he's not active far more often than not. And, and what does that provide for the Colts? The ultimate insurance policy in the event that this guy who had 32 right. rushing attempts yesterday gets injured at some point. Now you can pivot to another guy who can do very similar things and who had done very similar things. And it wasn't that long ago that Jim Irsay, the owner of the team, was touting Marlon Mack as an 1,800-yard guy. Here we go, if we need to. And, Ma and Mack's not happy about it for now, but he's going to love it if he ends up having to play at some point between now and who knows how far they go but they're going to go farther than they would if they didn't have a good backup ready to go in the event something happens to Taylor. They don't have all their eggs in that one basket. Well, we, we talk about quality depth. We just talked about it with Dallas, right? Your two number one receivers are out. And, you know, where's the production from the backups there? It was your tight end and your running back who led the way. So you're right. If you can have another guy, I mean, we're, we don't, you know, we're, we're saying this, it's part of the NFL, Obviously, Jonathan Taylor is healthy and running well right now, but injuries happen, and you're right. If he somehow went out and you could plug in another guy like that who who's, has been playing well, well, when we've seen him play well before injuries, and he'll be somewhere else probably at some point uh, as well unless he ends up on the field here a lot by bad circumstances to Taylor. But you're right. If you can plug in a guy, you know, especially coming to the end of the season and not miss much of a beat, 
that's only going to help you. That's where I talk about quality depth. It's hard to find sometimes. I hesitate to talk about possible quarterback injuries because the rules are set up for them to not get hit, and it feels like a jinx. But with running backs, there's an inevitability to it. It's the nature of the position that you play. You are getting the ball, and you are sprinting into the teeth of seven guys who are large, and they are strong, and something's got to give at some point. So... Uh, we've seen it over and over and over again with running backs. Even if it's just a short-term, week-or-two thing, they've got Marlon Mack, who was indeed act- inactive again yesterday. So he's healthy. He's 100%. He's ready to go if they need him. It's just something that the Colts can feel good about because if all, just like with the Titans, all you got is Derrick Henry. Hey, this is great as long as he's healthy. And then once he's gone, you, you're really struggling. The Colts won't be in that predicament if that does indeed happen struggle is what the vikings did yet again another close game another nail biter another sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't yesterday didn't work out for the packers did work out for kirk cousins and company we'll talk about an epic border battle in minnesota when pft live continues right after this Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Twenty-nine-yard field goal to win the game against the eight and two Packers. Right hash from Joseph. Snap. division road game in three years the final score minnesota 34 green bay 31 what a difference to have fans present in minnesota for the packers game last year the vikings were carved up by aaron Rodgers and really had no answer they got carved up again though but they did have the answers and kudos to paul allen for getting the call right of the field goal going through. Good friend of mine. Love the guy. He had that <laughs> He had that moment earlier against the Cardinals where he said it was good when it wasn't. <laughs> and with the Viking kickers, you never quite know if it is going to go through, no matter how close it is. But the Vikings with the win. And, Mike, this is the formula. It's every week. Double-digit lead in the second half. Double-digit lead blown. And then can you find a way to pull out 
the miraculous victory. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. It's a formula for 9-8 and eight or 8-9 eight and nine and maybe the seventh seed in the NFC. I, 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 when I read this stat about Minnesota, I was a bit shocked. They're the only team in the NFL this year to hold a lead of seven or more points in every single game. They've been up by seven points or more. And, and you're I mean, you want to talk about giving your fans a roller coaster ride on what's going on with them. But boy, big, just how I talked about uh, Dallas and Kansas City, there's Dak and Mahomes, zero touchdown passes. These two guys with uh, Kirk Cousins and Aaron Rodgers, seven touchdown passes between the two of them, four for Aaron, three for Cousins, and no interceptions. Big plays back and forth. One hits a big play, the other hits a big play. All they're talking about at the end of the game is don't give anybody time left on the clock, and kudos to Minnesota to kick that field goal with just a couple of seconds ago and not give because you know you always go to that shot of Aaron Rodgers just lurking on the sideline. Don't give him a chance with the ball. Don't give him a chance with the ball. But it could have been the other way. Darnell Savage hangs out to that interception in a tie score. And that could have been Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers leading his offense down. The Savage has to be sixth this morning. He went up for that pick. And, I mean, he had the pick. And just when he came down, it came loose. I mean, that was a, a nice interception went up for it. And right as he came down, he lost possession of it. That should have been Green Bay ball. That was right in his midst. Had that thing. And as it comes down and hits the ground, that would have been, as I said, Aaron Rodgers going the other way for the win. And who it would have been, you know, the, the, the Viking fans getting their hearts cut out yet again. But it doesn't go that way. They had something go their way. And they do a nice job of getting a drive that they need to get a game-winning field goal in that game. But what a back and forth. A big plays back and forth for both teams. Let's hear from Mike Zimmer, coach of the Vikings, on the emotions of the latest Vikings heartbreaker but at, at least this week they didn't get their hearts broken next week they'll get their hearts broken at the end of a close game let's hear from zimmer <laughs> sundays are not fun <laughs> sunday, you know they say sunday's fun day it is no it's not at all it's um it's it's you know like i said the other day every every play with this guy is a fight you know he trying to um you know and then you know, you just hope, you know, when they go down and score in one play that the offense can come back and, and do what they did. And so, um, you know, I was proud of them for that. That 75-yard touchdown pass from Aaron Rodgers to Marquez Valdez-Scantling to tie it at 31. All that underscored oh. the message, Mike. Don't leave Aaron Rodgers with a single second on the clock. I mean, this happened so fast. And you're, you're, you're going to take it. Valdez Scantling isn't going to think, hey, I should go down at the 10 here and maybe we should, you know, try to score a touchdown and force overtime and not give Minnesota any time to score. You got to run it into the end zone. That's not even a question. But the reality is it gave the Vikings enough time to drive down and they were wise to not leave the door open even the slightest bit for Aaron Rodgers to do that to him again. Yeah, listen, I mean, that's... It, it ha it's amazing when you're that good that the game plan is to not let you get the ball back. I mean, incredible. But, I mean, we see the weapons that Minnesota has. We have to give them credit for this one. How about, again, six times out of their ten games, the game has come down to the last snap for them. 
and they're three and three. They're 500 in them. But look at what Jefferson, Jefferson had over 100 yards in the first quarter. Between him and Thielen and Dalvin Cook, they have weapons on that offensive side of the ball. So it's not shocking that they have leads in these games. It's just head-scratching that they can't hold them all the time. And they can't get that consistent play for 60 minutes because what happens on the sidelines at times is when you see things start to turn a little bit, that kind of wind goes out of your sail like, here we go again, because you've seen it before. Not the other way of, oh, we got a lead, let's keep the lead. We know we can. We've, we've lost leads before, so you kind of get that, oh no, what's going to happen this time for us to screw up this game? But kudos to them for hanging on to this one and, and getting the win on a chippy field goal. And that's what's stunning about this Vikings team. Last year, the defense, from a talent standpoint, was as bad as it's ever been. And Mike Zimmer, first to admit it, because he's a defensive guy. This year, it was supposed to be better. And, and look, against Aaron Rodgers, when he's clicking like he was yesterday and he's firing the ball off of his back foot and he's extending the play and the, the touchdown pass he threw to the tight end in the second quarter was a thing of beauty. But, uh, oh. you know, he, it, it, to, to, I sure. guess to, to find a way to outscore him on a day like yesterday is a plus. And if the Vikings can get their defense to kick it in, to step it up, to make some stops, to hold some leads, to get some confidence. And they did it against the Chargers. They had a lead late against the Chargers, and they didn't surrender it. If they can find a way to do that once or twice, and they can steal a spot at the playoff table in the NFC, maybe they could make a little bit of noise. Because their offense is good enough. The challenge this year, Mike, is the defense. Well, listen, I, I did the game when they were playing against Cooper Rush the bat, when Dak Prescott was out, uh, and they, they had the lead in that one against a backup quarterback, which they should at home, and they ended up losing that game and getting, getting booed off the field a bit there. So, yeah, they have, they have the offensive firepower. They do need the defense to come along, you know, and, and, and be more consistent. We'll see. Uh, we'll see. And from the other side with Green Bay, I mean, is there going to be concern for that Aaron Rodgers toe? He got it stepped on again. Uh, he's, he says what he has is worse than turf toe. And for those that don't know, when you hear a player having turf toe or a toe injury, turf toe is unbelievably painful, unbelievably painful. And he's got a toe issue now. He was running around and still doing his thing. It's all about managing pain. But one thing else that happens in November and going forward, rarely do injuries get better. <laughs> rarely do they heal up and you say, oh, yeah, by the start of the playoffs, I'm 100%. That stuff just lingers and or gets even a little worse as the season goes on. So I know it's a toe, but we know the way Aaron Rodgers is moving, running occasionally and moving and how good it is. We saw a toe with Patrick Mahomes and how it can affect you as well. So just something to keep an eye on going forward. And Mike, it was such a strange thing because we didn't even know he had a toe injury until he returned from COVID reserve last Saturday the day before the game at home against, and who did they play that week? Why am I blanking on whoever they beat? Oh, it was the Seahawks. Well, because they blanked the Seahawks. That's why I blanked on who oh, it was. Right. Nice yeah. save. Him and Russ, but, right. But the toe injury popped up out of nowhere, missed a couple of days of practice in the week leading up to the Vikings game. Here's Rodgers after the loss to Minnesota talking about the status of his toe. No, and I've had turf toe. It's a little worse than turf toe. Um, 
I'm just going to have to get through the bye and and, uh, and hope I can get some some healing uh, over the bye week. Um, you know, probably the same schedule next week. Uh, was in a lot of pain. Went into halftime early to get it checked out. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean it's. Uh, very, very painful. Got stepped on in the first half, and that kind of activated all the symptoms I was having. So uh, it's going to be another painful week next week, and then hopefully start to feel a little better in the bye. Yeah, he, he didn't show uh, much by way of limited functionality, but when you're constantly playing through pain, that does wear you down. It was odd when he left the field with time left in the first half because the Packers got the ball back. And this is one of the great yeah. Hail Mary throwers of NFL history that you're just conceding. You took a knee with Jordan Love. Aaron Rodgers isn't going to take a knee in that spot. But there he is waiting to get into the locker room, I guess, to get his toe checked out. But, you know, Mike, as you said, turf toe, and it sounds fairly innocuous, turf toe. I remember when I first heard about it. Sims and I talked about this last week. Franco Harris had turf toe back in the 70s. He's thinking, turf toe? That, he's got some turf on his toe. I, it just doesn't sound nearly as bad <laughs> as it is. And you think about it, when you walk, when you run, when you exert, what's the last thing that comes off the ground? It's that big toe. And if that big toe has ligament damage, and that's what happened to Patrick Mahomes last year, and it was three days after the Super Bowl that he had surgery, and I'm still not sure he's 100% recovered from that. And the bye week's coming for the Packers. They got the Rams on Sunday, which is not going to be easy, coming off of uh, their bye this past weekend, and then the Packers get some time. But as you said, how much better is it really going to get in December when you've got some stressful games coming up, some demanding games coming up, whatever healing you get during your bye week, it's going to be gone like that. Oh, it, it absolutely is. And, and the, the tape job for turf toe, by the way, is a pretty, pretty, pretty interesting one as well that, that you get done to, to help support. And the one thing, and listen, this is part of the game. I did it all the time when I had injuries that, were, that could be done for this. I, I, I took the needle to numb up the areas of, of injury, to numb the pain, to play. I did it, and, and I have no regrets in doing it. And it's still done today by players. But this is something you, you can't really do. You know, it's very difficult to run around and not have feeling in your big toe. So there are certain things that you can use the needle for and certain things that you can't just from a safety uh, uh, precaution or just from the feel of it. I mean, to run around and not feel your big toe would be very, very difficult to do. So a lot of it is pain management, just what you can deal with from other ways of, of trying to take, you know, take care of the pain and not have as much during the game. That's just one that's very difficult. You just have to live with. And then, as you said, now I know he said this isn't turf toe, but then if you have a toe issue and then you get it stepped on, which happens an awful lot out on the field, and that just ex exacerbates it. it. It's very, very difficult. And yeah, he says it's a little bit worse than turf toe. I don't know what's worse than turf toe is like the like yeah. toe partially <laughs> hanging off of the foot. Like, what would be worse than having the ligaments <laughs> stretched and strained and inflamed and irritated to the point where every step you take is like a knife jamming into the front end of your foot? And, Mike, I'm glad you mentioned the reality that – because I think fans just think, oh, take the shot, oh, take some pills, numb the pain. The, the, yeah, you need to be able to at least feel how your body is connecting to the turf and – and have, like, some general awareness. I know one of the things Sim says is when you see guys get certain types of injuries, it could be that 
it's just a product of their body being numb and they don't quite know where their body is in relation to the ground because they don't have that reaction. You don't feel your foot land on the ground and you can get worse of an injury doing that. There really is risk in numbing pain because pain is the signal to the brain that, hey, maybe you want to be a little careful what you do there. Oh, my God, there, there's no doubt there's a risk to it without, without question that, that there's an area of your body that's hurt and you can't feel if it's getting hurt anymore. I mean, and, and there are certain things that doctors, you know, the team doctors won't do that said, you know, I just I can't do this because you could hurt this area more. It could lead to something else and you, and you wouldn't know about it. Um, but listen, I, I asked for it when I when I needed it. And if it was an area they could shoot, they did it. Um, and if it wasn't, then they wouldn't. And a a lower extremity, a foot like that or a toe, it is difficult. Not even from the fact, Mike, of you can hurt it more and not know about it because that's that's there, that's present. You don't feel it. I mean, try running without feeling your big toe. I think it would would mess with you. So it'd be very difficult. And sometimes what you do is you try things during the week. You'll, like, shoot it during the week to see how it feels on the practice field and can I manage – doing whatever function I need to do with whatever part of the body that I got shot. You kind of test it out. Now, doctors don't want to do that too much. You don't want, you know, needles going in your body all the time. But, you know, you want, you want to see if you're going to be right, if it's going to be right. And sometimes it's just not worth it to do because it can affect your play too much. Um, one last point before we move on. On Justin Jefferson, he had the Randy Moss T-shirt on during pregame warm-ups, and he is the best receiver the Vikings have had since Randy Moss. He has matched Moss with 11 100-yard receiving games in his first two seasons, and he's got seven more to try to surpass what Moss did. He can also catch Odell Beckham Jr. in theory. The record's 15. He's going to have to get, obviously, at least five out of the next seven. But he was unstoppable yesterday. Two touchdowns. One nifty play coming out of the backfield where I think they just lost track of him when he trickled out and was was wide open in front of the end zone and got the ball in for a touchdown on third and goal. There it is, third and goal from the nine. Just like a delayed route where he comes out of the backfield and nobody saw him. So he's, he is incredible, and he wants to have a better relationship with Randy Moss. He wants to emulate Randy Moss's accomplishments, and he's he's already laying that foundation. It's amazing how good he is and uh you know he plays like he did yesterday on a regular basis they will get to the playoffs and they will be a tough team to deal with once they get there well listen he's a great player there are so many great young receivers in this league right now and also understand because at times people will see a player like that open and say how does a player that good get open you have to understand it's a it's a, it's, a team, it's, a, it's a concept as well, route concepts, route running of the other receivers as well. You know, you think of routes that they're running and where it takes the defense and where it can open holes up, whether it's a zone defense. Man, it can be a different thing, but in a zone defense of where it can open things up on the field. Now, sometimes you play man, you just flat out beat your guy, you catch him flat-footed. But zone, all you need, all you need is a player – to, for that split second on the defensive side of the ball to not be where he's supposed to be or look away from where he is, and that's all you need. And you're going to get that, that area that you need to catch the pass. So it's not just Jefferson running routes, though he does it well. It is the, the, the concept of the other routes that are going on as well 
that helps receivers, great receivers, get open if they work, if they draw and pull the defense the way you're drawing it up on the whiteboard to work. And the key for the Vikings offense continues to be giving quarterback Kirk Cousins enough time to throw the ball because he's not going to do the Aaron Rodgers thing where he slides left or right or backward or forward and buys time that way. When the walls begin to cave in on Kirk Cousins, it's over. It's done. He needs to be able to find a receiver open before time runs out. It's beat the clock. You got four or five seconds max. He's not going to buy you more time. That's just the reality. He's a great thrower. He's a great quarterback when he has time. He's not going to take, you know, as someone explained it to me, Cousins is the guy who can run the play that's called. The play that develops on the fly, Mike, is something he just can't do. He can't take it and improvise because he doesn't have the, the physical abilities to run away from the guys who are trying to knock him down. Yeah, I mean, that's why every, we, we see Kirk Cousins and we go like, wow, he's got some good st- stats and we see him play well. And then I think what happens is we all wait for that next level and that next level. And that's kind of today's game. You see guys that can pass from the pocket, but you see their ability to escape and either run and be dangerous with their legs or escape and be dangerous behind the line of scrimmage by throwing the ball. That's kind of the, the next step for quarterbacks that have been in the league for a little bit to, to kind of develop that, where guys coming into the league now, we see that because they've been doing that all their lives, and it's now more accepted in the NFL. When they come in, they actually use quarterbacks' abilities from college in the pros. But guys that have been in the pros for a while, that's what you want, a good pocket passer. Can they develop that next stage? And I think that's what everybody kept waiting for with Cousins, who played the business aspect of NFL better than anybody out there in the money that he got. But from that development standpoint of going to that next part of your game to make you even and then your offense even more dangerous, that's been the part that's been missing a bit. And that's a problem. They'll eventually come up against a defense that shuts down the run, gets to Cousins, and their defense isn't good enough to keep it close. And it, it just feels inevitable. It's going to be a suffocation, and maybe that'll happen to them six days from now when they go back to San Francisco. Let's take a break. Superlatives time when this Monday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 